0: This is Opportunities in Science. With me, Dr. Barry Towler, founder and CEO of science animation company Vivo Motion. In this podcast, inspiring individuals reveal their interesting career pathways after completing a degree in science. Welcome to today's guest on Opportunities in Science, Dr. Lucia Juarez. So thank you for joining me today. We're going to talk about your career path and I guess it's slightly different because your first degree wasn't in science. So the main focus of this podcast obviously is looking at science and careers in science, but when we met on LinkedIn, um I think it was a few few months ago now. I was taken by what you're doing in in your role and advising, you know, PhD students, etc. So could you tell us a bit about what you're doing with that at the moment? What's your current position?
1: So... As you say, I'm an architect. What I want to say is, I know that it's not science, science, but I have, like, my father is an engineer, well, was an engineer. Uh, my mom, um, an artist, and uh, she was a teacher in art history. So I always thought that architecture was a kind of a mix, and I like it, that mix. And I know that, that you like that mix yeah, as well, about yeah. things that are a bit more rigid and things that are a little bit more, artistic and so as you say I'm an architect what but what I'm doing now specifically is I'm an academic coach I did my certification as a life and academic coach to be academic coach you need to have your it's not a degree it's not um, a profession that is regulated yet but you need to have like a proper training uh, to Mm -hmm. become a life coach so What I decided to do is, because of the background that we can discuss later, Mm -hmm. is to use all my personal experience to help PhD students, because doing my PhD was some of the most amazing things that I did for myself. Of course, it came with a lot of struggles, and it was difficult, but I loved it at the same time. So it was hard, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that studies in general. I always like I had many degrees and I always was like a good student. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the times that I wasn't as good in my studies were when I was having like a difficult time in my personal life. So I was working as a tutor at the University of Edinburgh teaching architecture history after I finished my PhD. And all that I think that I could see in common in my own experience and as a teacher as well was in Like those students that were doing not so great, it was not because they didn't know the topic, for example, but it was more about they couldn't concentrate. Or I have a student that couldn't actually sleep because she was having personal problems. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to help uh, students, and sometimes I think I'm helping me in the past,
0: (laughs) (laughs) almost like reliving the experience, but knowing what you know now, wishing that you'd. No then, maybe,
1: definitely. Mm-hmm. So what I'm creating is trying to do these things that I thought I would benefit from years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I do is i I do academic coaching uh one to one. Mm -hmm. Or I have a group, which is amazing because doing a PhD can be very isolated, especially since COVID. So having a group where you can share on one of the things my clients keep saying from the group, especially Mm -hmm. is a kind of a relief when you realize that they are from different places in the world. So just seeing that other students have the similar difficulties, although everyone is different, Mm -hmm. brings a kind of a relief and peer support. As well, yeah. that it's not just me as a coach, but they have the peer support.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, with your students um, that you're working with now, are they from different disciplines, or what sort of backgrounds do they have? Is it mixed?
1: Well, at the beginning, I, I, because as an architect, I thought uh, I would understand architects better. Mm-hmm. because is and uh, maybe it can be similar. I know that you might understand this. The way of thinking is like, um, as an architect, you are like drawing a lot and your way to uh, communicate through images is controlling mm-hmm. It's very different when you need to kind of write. <laughs> a PhD dissertation you know it's a big challenge so I thought I could help them in in that Mm -hmm. sense but then uh people from other so my first clients were architects yeah and the first members of the group were architects as well and I think they because they thought that were my story were resonated with them as well so it was easier to connect Mm. but uh after a little while, people from other disciplines, medicine, or others in the kind of artistic world or designers, uh, mm-hmm. came to me. Mm-hmm. So it's a variety. I'm still, for some reason, <laughs> most are from the construction and yeah. uh, an architectural industry, and yeah. more from the medicine. I
0: think that's interesting because, yeah, when when I started my training, it was mostly for scientists because that was what you know, my background was, what I knew about. Yeah. But as time's gone on, I've really moved across disciplines as well. So working with different, you know, with artists, designers, humanities, etc. So would you say then that, you know, the skills that you've learned throughout your career, what would you say are the main kind of, I guess, transferable skills is one of the kind of ways that we term this? What are the mm. kind of things that you would use in your current role?
1: Well, there are so... There are so many, uh, mm. actually, uh, not just as an architect, but doing the PhD, this idea of problem solving uh, is an amazing skill to have. And it's something yeah. that, that you practice in your PhD every day and you can use it in anything you do, even as a parent, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but as an architect, I think something that I, that I like this idea of when you're an architect, you design things that are in your head first, Mm -hmm. and then you put in a piece of paper and you create something and you materialize something Mm -hmm. that it was in your head before so for me coaching is a process like it's very similar Mm -hmm. so you have your ideas and your thoughts and then Uh, You can put your ideas in a piece of paper as well, doing coaching exercises. Sometimes I make my uh, clients to make drawings Mm -hmm. about, for example, (laughs) their ideal future self, for example, or how they imagine their life to be. Because I think one of the main problems we have is all these labels Mm -hmm. uh, that happens a lot in the career. I hear this a lot. It's like, uh, I'm a lawyer, but I don't want to be a lawyer. But what do you love from being yeah. a lawyer? I mm-hmm. don't know, talking with people, helping people. So you can translate that, mm-hmm. taking the label off and sometimes focus more on the kind of life that you want to have. Like uh, if you like traveling or having a flexible life, so what would be the kind of uh, job or project or the things that you want to do in your life that will match in some way? These things that are important for you and they are not maybe you can still be a lawyer or an architect and do the things, but it comes in a way of thinking. So it comes from your head first.
0: Yeah. So what's the big vision?
1: Yeah. Um, So it's like an architectural project. And then so how, how we can make this happen. Yeah. That's the most important thing in a coaching session or a work is what, what I'm going to do to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when it's a future vision, it may be a long way, but mm-hmm. you can still set a kind of a direction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, we don't want to make big changes because we feel overwhelmed, so we look at the minimum thing you mm-hmm. can do Just. Just start moving in that direction, which is so important. Okay. So similar to in the architectural world, you can think about foundations or what's the main things that you need to put in place for, for that to grow and, and happen. Mm-hmm. Is that you won't start from from the roof building a house. So well, This is a great yeah. analogy. I love it. It's um, mm. really good. And yeah, you can see how you're
0: applying those architectural skills in a different setting. So that's fantastic. What would you say is the kind of the best part of your current role? We're focusing just on now, and and in a while we'll go back to what you did before. But at the moment, what's the best part? What are you enjoying about your current position?
1: I love seeing transformation, and I think that's then nice, I that can be related with the architectural thing as well. Mm-hmm. Is in, for example, I love when I start a session, I can see in the face of my clients the struggle, like a kind of a weight. Mm-hmm. And when they are realizing of different things in the process of exploring what's going on and the things that mm-hmm. they can do through the end of the sessions, I can see a change in their faces and the mm-hmm. attitude. And they usually feel like more empowered. And I love seeing that in the architectural world, it can take years to see a result. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I really like seeing this, like in a short time so powerful yeah Yeah, i I love it it. i love it
0: yeah that's good yeah you can see um your passion when you're smiling and
1: yeah and And you know what um in my architectural life, because I was also living in different countries and places. It's mm-hmm. not that I have my own architectural practice. I was always working from other architects. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was designing things. So I maybe never have the chance to, be, to, to see it materialized. Mm-hmm. So having the chance to see what I'm doing and the result in a short time. And someone, people, for example, I was talking with a client yesterday and she finished um, maybe three weeks ago, and she said, oh, this has been so helpful because I realize now things that are taking from the sessions, and I'm still using it. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't, the session finished and your client finished working with you, you know that what they are learning, they are taking it with them for anything they are going to do. So that's so nice, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. So,
0: so yeah, so you've told us about what you're doing now. And obviously, that's what I was interested in, because obviously, with the, the focus on this podcast is thinking about your career, etc. Can you take us back to kind of the start of your degrees and and talk me through the different qualifications that you've done because you've done quite a lot of different yeah. qualifications and then how maybe how you decided to take each of those steps if you like.
1: So as I said I think uh, being an architect was like a very natural election mm-hmm. uh, because of not just my dad or my mom is like the father of my best friend mm-hmm. her name is Gisela his father. Uh, was an architect and I remember we were little like uh, maybe I was seven years old and I love his big table and all this lovely pencil yeah. <laughs> and it's like I don't know what this man is doing but I want to do the same. I'm yeah. okay. very different of the kind of drawings or painting that my mom would, would, would do. I really like that kind of structure, structure, um, mm-hmm. the big ruler on the table yeah, uh, this fancy pilot <laughs> penses and uh, yeah. uh I love it. Yeah. So it was very easy to me to 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 decide to be an architect, although it was a very difficult career as well because you never sleep. <laughs> so is it was hard, but I but I loved it. And I started doing postgraduate studies before finishing my degree because I knew that I wanted to do something related with heritage okay I and I think that might be like the history because my mom was a teacher of um, art history I think maybe mm-hmm. that was something that and I remember for example traveling I, I really remember this very uh, how can I say like kind of a sharp situation vividly. I was in. yeah vividly I was, yeah yeah, yeah. I was in Peru, I went with my father and my brother. Uh, We were in Machu Picchu and they were for a walk and I was sitting and looking at um, like an Inca construction Mm -hmm. and I could see that the stones were put in the wrong place. So uh, I said, how like a mistake that we can make. uh, So then we think this is like it was, and it wasn't. So it's like I wanted to do something about it. Like uh, I I wanted to know more about history and how we we transfer Mm -hmm. the knowledge and the material part of heritage. Yeah. And then I got a scholarship to do my master's degree in heritage conservation in Spain. Mm -hmm. I also loved that. But it wasn't like a technical thing. I -hmm. didn't know if I wanted to do something more technical, a restoration. I loved it that, but I never managed to do a lot. All the things that I did in the heritage sector was more as a hobby rather as a proper career. All the jobs that I have was as in another architectural firms. But then again, I I wanted to do, and my master's dissertation was about an old factory in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And I loved all the industrial heritage. And I think that was related with my dad being an engineer. He was working yeah. in, in different factories at the time. Yeah. So I think in some way everything is connected. Huh? and yeah. uh, make who you really are today. And after that, um, I moved from different cities. I was living in Barcelona uh, when I uh, finished my master's. Then I moved to London. Mm-hmm. to live who, with, who is now my husband. Mm-hmm. Then we moved to Oxford okay. <laughs> and, and because I was in the UK and there was all this idea of how important was industrial revolution and mm-hmm. all that thing about the industrial heritage is like, I wanted to do something. It's like, I am here. I yeah. have access to so many archives or, or information Mm-hmm. So it's when I decided to, to start a PhD. And then I won an amazing scholarship at Edinburgh University. So we moved here. I, yeah. <laughs> so the from that to where I am, is like after I finished and I was uh, working as a tutor, I kind of connect with the, the story that I was telling you uh, yeah. before. So okay. it was more they need to do something else. I think in all the things that I've done, I didn't have that sense of purpose that I have now.
0: Okay. Good. That was
1: the main thing.
0: Yeah. So you were interested in the things, but you didn't have the, the connection with the purpose of what you were doing. So your PhD, that that was in architectural history, was it a specific part or geographical location in the UK? Or what did yeah. you... Yeah.
1: So it happened to me. Like I was in my hometown, Tucumán in Argentina and in my school that was very important for me, we have a cast iron fountain, the main square of the city has a big cast iron fountain and you Mm -hmm. can still see the stamp that says uh, Derby, for example, that it was cast on Derby. I remember walking and seeing the city centre cast iron gate in that school and yeah. I, I and I stopped to look for the stamp and it says Glasgow. Okay. It was a McFarland uh, gate say yeah. and a big big gate in the city of my where my mom is from in Mendoza is another country thousand kilometers away. There is a huge MacFarlane's uh, gate oh. that's what you say, what is this? What is these things are coming from? Yeah. Uh all the railway stations are known as english <laughs> they're british of course not english <laughs> but uh i was very curious about how these things get there so i was surprised when i i wanted to do something related to that uh, because i could connect me living in the uk and my hometown or my place in argentina so what i actually did I work specifically in trying to find out how these things were produced, and in what context they were shipped to Argentina. Yeah, and part of it was to explore a lot of the kind of political and trade aspects that mm-hmm. were in. <laughs> it, it, I did my thesis ten years ago, so I, I started ten years ago. So it was. Uh, a very new topic, which is the informal empire, and it was mm-hmm. how uh, the British were trying to impose, in some way, uh, diplomatical ways. But we were importing all our iron materials to use in our cities that were growing.
0: Yeah. And so it was mm-hmm. very
1: interesting to see how the things like were we were adopting all these elements that they were kind of. Aligned to us, but yeah. nowadays they are so important and so part of our cities that they are going unnoticed. Because when I tell my friends, Oh, that fountain is coming from Scotland, it's like, What? <laughs> they never actually thought or realized, of yeah. course.
0: You don't realize, yeah. I yeah. would never know either. I would just go and visit and think that everything was from there. So <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I'm sure we could speak more about about your PhD, but Let's go on to any sort of difficult moments in your career and Mm. how have you overcome those? Have you had any kind of challenging times, would you say?
1: Yeah, I think it seems like a PhD journey is never as smooth as you thought, even if you have a good scholarship as I have or Mm. living in a beautiful city as the (laughs) Edinburgh. So for me, the most difficult time was when I had my first child because it was on the second year of my PhD, mm-hmm. uh, living on my own with my husband, so not having family support, uh, childcare in the UK is very expensive. So when I managed to to send my my son to nursery, I think he started when he was like eight months mm-hmm. old. Um, I was feeling super guilty. So I managed to have the time to go to work to the office and. And I remember going to cry <laughs> oh. because I was feeling guilty uh, that I left my, my, my kid in nursery. I was feeling guilty because I have like, a, the computer in from, front of me and I couldn't work. So uh, it was a big struggle because sometimes you think that you need time. Mm. To work, and then you have time, and you cannot work. So, what is <laughs> what you need? <laughs> and I think that's the things that we work also with with around the coaching, because people think, well, I need more time to work, but then they have the time, or they procrastinate, and and, and they don't use their time wisely because mm. um, they don't know what to do, or they are not emotionally
0: yeah uh, difficult to prepared. focus
1: focus is a big Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. so of course uh I think that was the hardest part because you I needed to also to work at night Mm -hmm. because the time that I I was doing like a full-time PhD but never have like Mm full-time disponibility to work on
0: yeah and how did you get through it then what sort of what things did you do to make yourself feel better or get back your focus how did you work through
1: it i started to be more organized i started doing few things that really helped i uh, doing meditation uh, mm-hmm. before i start writing my dissertation and i started to be much more organized and having my routines more in place like i was first of all i asked help from my husband like if you instead of go together or Or we take turns for this period of time. Can you leave and pick up our son from school? So I have, let's say, one hour more Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: to work. Um, So I was making little adjustments and then trying to to be more focused on the time that I have available because I realized that feeling guilty wasn't healthy. So what I wanted to do is to be more present. So at Mm -hmm. work time, I wanted to be working as as uh, efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. While if I'm with my kids, I want to be with them, not feeling guilty about I'm not doing the some work.
0: work. Yeah.
1: So, thinking about the ways to do that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so for example, I was trying not to work during the weekends to have just family time, and I couldn't work five days a week either. So I mm-hmm. was working three. But yeah. I made So I wanted to make sure that three days at the office and, and at night, because I was working at night as well, were as mm-hmm. efficient as possible. And doing meditation, I was using the Pomodoro technique as well to mm-hmm. try to be more focused. Mm-hmm. Can I you have, just explain to people what the Pomodoro yeah, technique is, so just in case the, they don't know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just setting time, uh, 25 minutes to do a task. Okay. So that was helping me with my concentration and, and to feel more in control of what I was doing because I cannot be sitting for long in a desk. I need to move around yeah. and and I can get very distracted as well. Mm-hmm. So I was putting my phone in silence. Mm-hmm. And when you have a kid, it's difficult not to be dependent on the phone, but I knew 20 minutes or 25 minutes will be okay. So I will set my alarm for 25 minutes. I will read or or write whatever I was doing. I will have a break in 25 minutes. I will check my phone to see if any from the family was needing me Mm -hmm. or go to the toilet and then come back.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that worked really well for me. It wouldn't uh, work now for the kind of job I'm doing now. But at that moment, doing the meditation before, so trying to be more present in the time that I have available. Using this technique was helpful for me. It doesn't mean that it has to be for everyone, yeah. but it was helpful for me at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I could be more, as I said, present and focus mm. in the work yeah. time and then more relaxed. Yeah
0: techniques to know about and I think for me when I became a mother that was when I became the most efficient that I'd ever been with my time (laughs)
1: it was like you
0: have to prioritize things so um yeah really good techniques thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing those Um, I'm sure Mm -hmm. people will use them so that was kind of looking at challenges moving on to any career achievements or highlights so we'll we'll finish on a on a high, okay.
1: on a positive. If you can tell <laughs> <that>. <laughs> well, I think I always felt uh, kind of proud of myself for the scholarships and some uh, awards that I got in the way. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, like having so many degrees and actually uh, never pay for, for them. <laughs> uh, so I went to an amazing um, university for my undergraduate students that it was like a public university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in the rank, like in the top 10 when I finished in terms of my grades. Then I got this scholarship to go to Spain. I also have like the best, <laughs> like an a name, you know, every country has their different uh, um, ways of put the grades or marking. Yeah. And then as an architect, the highest point was uh, that we were shortlisted for a retrofit design competition. Okay. and And I went to the... These nights that they were presenting the prizes, I was uh, sitting next to Zaha Hadid, which is was a very important architect. Okay. So that was being the the, hi- the highest point of my career. But sure, after I I decided to start my PhD, and mm. on my PhD, the highest, of course, would be when you present your dissertation. Okay. And Nobody's yeah. giving you an award for that, but you feel so proud of yourself. Yeah. So that was a high and. I also received, a year and a half ago, uh, like a, a nomina- an international nomination for my contribution in the industrial wow. heritage for Brilliant. the work that I did on my PhD. Uh, they recognised the work of identifying so many Scottish mm-hmm. cast iron elements in Argentina Fantastic. because I could see these things that nobody else was seeing, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I got that. Prize in uh, July last year, year or mm-hmm. year before it was 2000. We were already in the pandemic, so it was a great thing to have. Yeah. And I also got a scholarship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. So, and I also got my scholarship to become a coach. So, I think I see that a lot as well. Some of my clients out there, they have a scholarship or awards. It's like they are more likely to keep having these things because people. Recognize their their effort.
0: Yeah, and being yeah. a mom,
1: of course, that's another kind of <laughs> while you're doing all this. One of the biggest achievements. Yeah, being yeah definitely. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's fantastic. Thank you
0: very much for sharing all those achievements as well. It's brilliant. And. You know, do, do you sort of think that you sort out those scholarships then, like you proactively look for them? So once you've got one, maybe you sort of think, well, actually, I could get a scholarship for something else.
1: I, I always try because, I mean, for, just for the background, and I think myself, uh, when, when the experience, my experience was if it's not there, I just was ask or look for it. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. example, I did also have in the past, for example, the chance to travel to Ecuador to, mm-hmm. to have a kind of um it was kind of an scholarship but it's not that it was a grant that you you presented it's like i went to talk with the dean of the university and i say i want to do it, this experience but i don't have the money to do it like my family cannot support it what can i do yeah to, mm-hmm. to get this yeah and so things like that and with the uh, just asking and trying to be proactive sometimes i a lot of funders or people that can support you yeah. and you don't even, uh, they're not maybe advertised or yeah. you don't know about them. So I think sometimes
0: a mindset thing that some people have and maybe you just have it like naturally, but you know, you can obviously look for opportunities like that Um, sometimes people don't ask enough, I suppose, if you don't ask, you don't get, so um, yeah.
1: Yeah, for me, it's like almost anything is like, I really, really, really want this. What do I need to do to to get it? Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Lastly, what advice would you give someone who wants a career in science? So we're going to go back to science now, but I know Mm. that you are um, working with some scientists now. Yeah. So what would you advise them?
1: I think what it worked for me, and I think what I will recommend, although I always try not to to make many recommendations because everyone is different. Yeah. Uh, so I mainly have people I'll never say people what to do. But if I need to to advise someone in their career will be not to think about the labels mm-hmm. but the skills and the time of uh day-to-day task, uh, the, the life that you want to have. I see that even with people presenting their, their CVs or things, putting a lot of titles, but uh, nobody is explaining what they are able to do, what they can do, what they like doing. Mm-hmm. So I think you can use your title as a tool mm-hmm. to get other things that are not necessarily as connected. For example, I believe that my career as an architect was very helpful for me. It is still now, but I don't use it as an architect. Yeah. But it's part of who I am as well. And I wouldn't change it for any other.
0: Yeah, brilliant okay well it just remains for me to thank you very much lucia for your time today and your insights it's been absolutely fascinating hearing about oh,
1: thanks, your, your,
0: career, your travels i'm sure i could speak to you for hours more but we will we'll close there and <laughs> all the best with your coaching career and i'm sure you will flourish as you have done um, in the past
1: thank, <laughs> thank you very you. much no thank bye you thanks thanks
0: Thanks for listening to Opportunities in Science with me, Dr. Barry Towler, founder and CEO of science animation company Motion. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on Apple, Google and Spotify. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode. Bye for now.